such a privilege. Yes. Ah, all right. Thanks, Mel, for putting that up. Now, I want... Um, I'm actually just thinking of picking on someone, but because um, that's kind of normal for me. <laughs> uh, just debating on who to pick on. I want someone to come and read some scripture for me. So let me see if I've got volunteers first who would like to read some of the passage for me. Beth, come on up. I'm going to give you this... Um, because I want it from this version. So can you read Hebrews 12, 1 through to 12 for me? Thank you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, Pay attention. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Thank you so much. Let's just bow our heads in prayer.
Father God, thank you for your word, which speaks to our hearts and changes our lives. Thank you for the privilege of bringing your word, and I ask that you'd use me as your vessel today. Lord, that it would not be my words, but yours, and that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you this morning the purpose of training. How many of you ever trained for anything? Yeah? Well, what are some things we've trained for? What have you trained for, Tim? Soccer. Who else in the room has trained for soccer? None of the islanders? You guys? Yeah? What else has someone trained for? Jack, what? Netball. That sounds good. What about, yes, Jen? Cricket? Yeah. Anything other than sport? Colin? Rugby league. Woohoo! Musical instruments. What else can you train for? Reading. Yes. I thought you said weeding. And I'm like, you can come to my place and train all you want. <laughs> Mate, that's awesome. Uh, you got another one? English. You've been training in English. Reading the Word. What a good discipline that one is. Yes. Athletics. Wow. Well, tell me, with training... Do you enjoy it in the moment? No. no. <laughs> How do you feel afterwards, though? Particularly if you conquered a new skill. It's pretty good. Yeah. So we're going to have a look at the purpose of training today. And I was actually going to title this Learning to Love Training. And I thought, maybe that's stretching it a bit far. But we can love what happens after the training, right? <laughs> but the purpose of training. All right. So we just had um, Beth read to us so wonderfully from Hebrews 12. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, those witnesses were described to us, just a few of them, in the previous chapter in Hebrews 11. It talked about all these people who had gone before us and amazingly endured and persevered and had faith and overcame. And it's really an amazing list. Like when you think about endurance, sometimes you can think, well, this is just too hard. But when you read through Paul's list of the ones who've run the race before us, he sort of says things like this in verse 33 of chapter 11. These people who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, like wow, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. That all sounds amazing. <laughs> Until we keep going. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and sawn in two, tempted, slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. What? I don't think I have a bad day after all. <laughs> These are the 
people have gone before us. It says, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. I want you to think about our forerunners in the faith, the people who persevered and endured because they wanted to reach the prize. And they now become a great cloud of witnesses who can testify God is more than enough. Hang on because it is well worth the prize. You see, when we're in training, sometimes we can lose track of the goal because the present is so unpleasant that we forget the goal. It says this, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Ah, Have you ever um, felt weighted down by something? I've um, been known to push the limits of time. It's a nice way of saying I'm often running late. And um, so one day I realized on my way to work, like, you can only do the speed limit. But I drove the whole way, because I was running late, leaning forward. No, but it felt like it. And, and then I realized that my shoulders were so tense. I was so tense because I just had to get there. And I didn't get there any quicker. But when I consciously, okay, I get there when I get there. I'm going to enjoy the ride. And I put my shoulders back and I relaxed. The weight left. So sometimes when we're in pressure, it's tempting to be weighted down by the pressure. And yet we are exhorted to lay aside the weights and the sin which easily ensnares us and to run with endurance. Notice it didn't say run with speed, the race set before you. Ah, what a lesson I'm learning that when God directs you into something, you actually need to wait for his timing. Because we want, we see the word run and we say yes, and we run, and then we go, Where's everybody? (laughs) Why isn't this working? Run with endurance. In other words, don't just start well, continue, continue well. Run with endurance, the race set before you. The race set before you. God has a unique race for each one of us. And if we're running the race set before us, ah, it works, it fits. But if we're trying to run someone else's race, it doesn't fit. I used to compare myself constantly to everybody around me. Well, I'm not as good at them in this. I'm, I'm not as bright as them in that. I'm not as quick in this. I'm not as slow in that. I was constantly comparing myself in every way to everybody around me. And I can tell you it's a very draining way to live because you're not being who God created you to be. You're trying to be who everybody else is. And I can't be everybody else. It's impossible. 
I am designed to be me. So God says, run the race I have set before you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I like to think of Jesus as the head coach. And we need to respect his advice on how to run our race. Not run it the way we think we're going to win, but to listen to the head coach. Take on his instruction, even if it doesn't make sense. Now, we're going to go to Jeremiah. So if you brought your Bibles... Can you flip over, please, to Jeremiah chapter 18? And and while I'm I'm doing this, Melody, if you can play the first video, but just give me one more sec so I can give the reference. So we're going to read Jeremiah 18, 1 to 6. Okay, go for it, Mel. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord. If you can just turn the sound down a little bit. Yeah, not not fully, but that's fine. Okay. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now this is fascinating. Who in the room's done pottery before? Anyone? few people? Okay. So um, this person is really quite skilled. This potter is quite skilled here. And we can see a vessel taking shape. But what sort of clay is he working with? Is it hard or soft? Soft. So here's our challenge. In the training... We need to stay soft. (laughs) We need to still be moldable, teachable, trainable. Even though we don't understand, we might think, what? What are you doing? This doesn't feel right. Why are you putting pressure on me? Why am I being squeezed and poked and prodded? And why does it feel like I'm going round and round the same mountain? Has anyone had that feeling? Like... I've been here before. (laughs) Maybe you're on the potter's wheel and he's still shaping you. He's still moulding you. He's getting it just right. But see, the purpose of training is to get you ready for what he has for you, for the end goal. And this potter, the purpose of working with this pottery is to get it ready for the purpose that he's creating it for. God has created each of us for his purpose. But we have to let him mold us. And that's not easy. The molding comes in the hard times. It's those people that are around us that are so annoying and abrasive. And we don't want them in our life. It's, it's those times when nobody understands you. And, oh, why 
am I going through this? It's all of these things that are molding us and shaping us. We're actually in the potter's hands. He's like, you actually need this. Maybe you feel like God's put something in your heart to do, but you're so restricted, you feel like you can't do it. How am I ever going to get there? How am I ever going to do what you want me to do, God? I feel so restricted. But it's because we are in the process of being molded into a vessel for His purpose, for His glory to dwell in. (sighs) Remember in Hebrews, it talked about He was training us so that we could be made holy the way He is holy. God wants to make us holy. Oh, all right, as I see a hole in the thing. Wow. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And um, let's have a look at, at this, right? Here he's got this beautiful vessel. Now, is it finished? You sure? It looks finished. What else has to happen? Heat. So we don't just get molded. Now we go through the fire. (sighs) I don't know how many people have said to me, when is it going to get better? This seems like such a long season that I'm in. When is things going to start to go right for me? I want to suggest that maybe they are going right for you. You just don't realize it. The fire is actually hardening you so that you can't be remolded by the enemy. And used for his purposes. God wants to fire us so that we are set and solid in him. So that we are completely ready to be filled and used for his purpose. You see, God's making us into a vessel of honor that he can use and fill with himself. And even though that's hard work, it's so worth it in the end. If we will just submit to the potter's hand. Ah, I love that. Isaiah 64, 8. I'm just going to read that really quick. Just checking how I'm going for time. All right. 64. And verse 8 says this. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, We are the clay and you are our potter and we are all the work of your hand. What an interesting thing to put together. Now, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. Remember we talked about the father earlier. The father disciplines the son that he loves, corrects him. What kind of parents would we be if we never corrected our children, if we didn't show them the right way to go, if we didn't instruct them in how to do things right. Ah, I know one thing. When I used to work in retail, I would see two different kinds of children. I used to work, my, one of my first jobs was in Donut King. And um, I would see different parents come over and some... The kids would carry on like crazy, wanting to get the thing they wanted. And others would would just be um, humble. And their mum would say, oh, would you like this one? That's fine. Thanks, mum. And they were just so grateful for the treat. 
And um, I would notice the, the difference. I want to be a child that is actually disciplined because then I can represent my king well. I don't want to be carrying his name and giving him a bad name. I want to carry his name well. He is the potter and I am the clay. Here's the exciting thing about that. Do you think that clay with all um, the properties it has in it, do you think it could ever mould itself into something useful? No, clay can't mould itself. So why do we think that we are in charge of our own life? Isn't it kind of silly to think about, like, did we form ourselves in our mother's womb? Did we give ourselves our brains? Did we cause our fingers to grow? Do we know how our hair and fingernails work? We don't make ourselves, and yet we think that we know what is best for ourselves. I want to remember that I am the clay and he is the potter. And even though I may not understand everything he's doing, I understand that he knows more than I do as the clay. Oh, so good. All right. Um, Philippians 1.6 says, actually, let me just go there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 1.6. One more. Okay. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Woo! We can be confident of one thing. If we're willing, the one who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day he comes again. Oh, notice it says it's a good work. Even though that training may not feel good at the time, even though our circumstances may feel like they are too hard, too much, going for too long, if we will hang in there, the purpose of the training is to help us win the goal. And God knows how to bring us to that point. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah was given a good work to do. God put it in his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, um, when I went to Israel, I got to see a lot of ancient ruins, uh, sites that had been uncovered and, and dug up, a lot of tells, uh, which are hills that have had many civilizations and they, they begin to um, dig down through it all. And one thing that you can see, there's evidence of structures there and there's sometimes in some locations evidence where armies have come in and they've leveled the city and there was rubble everywhere. And this was the state of the walls of Jerusalem. Not only had they been knocked down previously, but they had been burned. So burned out rubble and ash. That's what they were coming back to. But Nehemiah had it in his heart from the Lord to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so he began the task. So they had to pick up all these old stones. They had to get all the ash off of them and they had to find their fit in the wall 
and start all over again. And what an amazing thing to want to do. But here's the thing. They began to get opposition. Some people were really unhappy. Their enemies were really unhappy with them rebuilding the wall. And they began to send all sorts of threats and saying, we're going to come after you and we're going to stop the work. And Nehemiah seeks the Lord, but rather than get off his track that God called him to run on, rather than bow to the whims and the demands of men, he doubled down even further and said, I'm not coming off the wall. And you know what? We are going to work from the moment the sun comes up until the stars are shining. We are not going to stop. And if you are threatening us, we're going to work with our armor and our weapons on. I want to read you Nehemiah 4, 17 to 18. It's an amazing response that he has. Ezra, Nehemiah. Um, It says this in verse 17 and 18. Those who built on the wall and those who carried the burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at the construction and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So Nehemiah is writing this in the first tense. So here the people, rather than backing off, rather than getting distracted, they are going to run the race God has set before them. And they are going to build and they are going to fight at the same time. Absolutely amazing. This is what has been resonating within me. You know what? This is no ordinary race we're running. We need to run our race, but strangely enough, we run it with the armor of God on. Because why? We have an enemy who wants to knock us off course. He wants to take us out of the way, get us off the path, distract us, weigh us down. So instead, we are running our race with endurance, but we are armored up. So on one hand, we're building for the Lord, and on the other hand, we have his weapon in our hand. And this is the kind of people that God is raising up. What is the purpose of this training? So that we can run effectively the race set before us, and we can look unto Jesus. So we can have that sword in our hand, so that when the enemy says, I'm going to mock you. I'm going to scorn you. I'm going to taunt you. You say, bring it on because i got a weapon in my hand and I'm not afraid of you. I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. I'm going to run my race looking unto him and I'm going to run with endurance and I'm not going to stop for you or anybody else. Something God is telling me again and again as a need to stop trying to please people and just focus on pleasing me. Please him, the one who called me, let the potter mold the clay. I'm going to run the race. Just like Nehemiah, he wouldn't be deterred. We have these amazing words later on where it says, we finished the wall. Despite all the opposition, despite everything, they finished the work that was given them to do. I want to hear him say, well done. When I get there, I don't want him to say, well, (laughs) I want the well done, good and faithful servant. I, when I was a a child, uh, one of the books I had to read in school was the autobiography of George Mueller. And 
for those who don't know uh, his life account, George Mueller um, had this calling to reach the poor and the orphaned. And he built these orphanages and he funded them completely by faith. So every day he would be on his knees believing God for provision for hundreds of children. And every day God would bring in money, food, provision. And so it was staggering what he, what he did in his lifetime. But he made this comment and it has stuck with me my whole life. And God has just recently reminded me of this. He made this comment, the world has yet to see what God can do with one life totally surrendered to him. There's something in me that wants to be that one. (sighs) What if I could die to self to the point that God could use me in any way he saw fit? What if I was that one life so surrendered What could he do? Look what he did with Moses. Remember, he was the meekest man who ever lived. God used Moses powerfully. What could he do with our lives if we completely surrendered, if we said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me? What if we were to give everything to God? Our dreams, our ambitions, our desires, our will, What if we gave it all? What could he do with that? What could the potter do if that clay wasn't resistant? If it was moldable? What amazing purpose could he use it for? Oh, something in me is just yearning for that. You know, the weird thing is when you let go of your life, that's when God can do something with your life. totally surrendered to him. I had a moment this morning when I was in worship here and I felt like just for a teeny second, I heard some angels singing with us and I sensed his presence so strong. I have to tell you, nothing else matters in that moment. Just him. And I want to get to a point where nothing else matters every moment of my day except for him. That I would be so surrendered that he could actually flow through me and reach countless lives. And not just for that purpose, but that I may be like him. Do any of you just think Jesus is so wonderful? (laughs) You know those moments when you just stand in awe because he's so wonderful? I want to be like him. Take me now. You are the potter and I am the clay. Mold me, Lord. Make me, shape me, and then use me for your glory. I want to finish with this thought in, um, back in Hebrews. So if you're following along, go back to Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews. 
Oklahoma. <sighs> All right. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Because the Lord, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. I want to go down a little bit. Verse 11 and verse 12. Now, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. We can actually allow God's discipline to train us. Then, verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down. Another translation says, therefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Strengthen or lift up the hands which hang down. Huh. All right. When, when do you feel like your hands are hanging down? When you're discouraged? Yeah. When you're discouraged, your shoulders slump, your hands hang down. When else? When you're exhausted? Oh, when you're weary? When you're troubled? But here's what we're exhorted to do, to lift up the hands that hang down. I believe this is a twofold thing. Lift up your hands in praise. And what begins to happen? Oh, what was going to be made lame is now not made lame, but healed. Because you're lifting up the hands to the one who is making you and molding you. Lift up the hands that hang down. Strengthen them. Get some praise back in. But it goes even further. I want to read to you Psalm 63, 3 to 4. Let me just go there really quickly. So Psalm, oops, Psalm 63, 3 to 4. Okay. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Sometimes we may not get what's going on in our life, but there is one thing. There is a steadfast love that's even better than this life. You know why? Because it is life. His love is our life. Therefore, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Ooh, that's a bit different. That's not just lifting up your hands to him. That's lifting up your hands in his name. What could we do? when we lift up our hands in his name, when we see a sea that needs to be parted, if we were to lift up our hands in his name, there's authority that comes there. Oh, strengthen those hands and those feeble knees. Lift them up in his name. Just like Nehemiah, I'm not coming down off my wall. I'm finishing the task God has to me. If that means I have to work with a trowel in one hand and a sword or a spear in the other, then so be it. But this is what he's encouraging us to do. Come on, rise up in the Lord. Strengthen those feeble knees. It's time to not worry but pray with purpose. 
It's time to not be in grief, but to stand and to use that as our time to push forward and say, no matter what, I will praise him. I will lift up my hands in his name. I am going to praise him. There is something amazing about that. And that reminds me of a story in Acts chapter 3. And we're going to watch it rather than me read it. Thank you, Mel. Anything to give? Alms? Look on us. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
rise up and walk. And he took him by the legs. No. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. His hands. It strengthened his feeble knees. It says, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This man had never been inside the temple. He'd only ever gotten as far as the steps. I believe God wants to use us as vessels that will take his hand and reach it out and bring others who've never been in his house into his house, that they may walk and leap and praise the Lord and be set free. Not only is he calling us to strengthen our hands and lift our hands, but he's calling us to reach those hands out to another, that they can then lift their hands in wonder and awe and praise of our God. Is it worth the training? 100%. The purpose of the training is so that we can be prepared to win, to win the race, to finish the race set before us so that we may be molded into His image, that we can be used for His glory. Oh, the wonder of that, that God would be willing to use earthen vessels and fill us with Himself. Oh, amazing. I just want you to bow your heads in this place. I want to give an opportunity, just like... Peter and John in that video clip, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then this is your day to receive salvation, to be made whole, forgiven of your sins and cleansed of all unrighteousness. The Bible tells us it's, it's going to cost you everything because you have to believe in Jesus alone to save you. But He's going to give you eternal life, true life, life without end, and a love that never fails. If you want to receive Jesus today, it's as simple as like an ABC. A is admit that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. B is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And C is call upon the name of the Lord. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. It's just that simple. I want to give you a moment to believe in your heart today. It's not about fancy words to pray. It's about your heart reaching out and receiving Jesus, acknowledging you're a sinner and allowing him to cleanse you because only the blood of Jesus was perfect enough to atone for sin. If you're in this place and maybe you've been feeling discouraged, maybe your hands have been hanging down, maybe you just need to be strengthened today, I would like to pray for you. 
So Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your people. I thank you that you are our potter and we are the clay and that you've set before us a race to run. Help us run with endurance, the race that you've set before us, keeping our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, I pray that today we could be like Nehemiah, running the race set before us, not coming down off the wall, not being distracted, not being hindered, but staying the course, regardless of how tough the discipline may seem at the time. Lord, soften our hearts that we may be moldable. And I pray that in this place, we would be a people that are empty of ourselves and full of you and that you would use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank Anita for this morning's word. Give her a hand. A couple of things before we finish. I want to honour and thank the people that turned up for our working party. It's not a working bee, it's a working party. And uh, you can see the results. Did you see how beautiful the garden looked as you come in? And so give them a hand and thank them today. And they'll grow up nice, beautiful pine trees. It'll look beautiful once it's all grown. So, so again, and mulch everywhere. It was a big effort. So thanks to everyone for coming yesterday and doing that. Um, I've just been told during the service that with the combined service that we're having, 